he keeps struggling to see because his glasses keep getting steamed up. There's like all the magic in the world and he's still wearing glasses in sport. <laughs> Christmas morning, he gets his presents from the Dursleys. He gets a toothpick. We have a used toothpick. I feel we should be right away. Thank, thank you very much. Yeah, yeah. Give it here. Let me just let me just just leave a little bit of toast on the end there from this morning. They're here to arrest Hagrid, effectively. And just as you think things can't get any worse, Lucius Malfoy shows up. Can I come for a gloat? He says. <laughs> oh, yeah, let's gloat. Hello, welcome to part three of Shark the Royals' read-through of Harry Potter and the Chamber of Secrets. I'm Matt. I'm Dave, hello. Are you ready, Dave? I'm ready. As they say, three is key. And this is <laughs> Did... part three. It... Who is it that says that? We all say it. <laughs> and we're going from chapter 10 today to chapter 14. So sort of like the, yeah, the, the sort of... What, third quarter of the book. We're doing this in four parts. And let me tell you, there's some pretty exciting things that happen. When 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 we last when we last spoke, um, we just got to the point where <laughs> Harry, Ron and Hermione had come up with another harebrained plan. Um, this one involving the polyjuice potion, um, which is this very, very complicated potion they've got to make. Um, and some of the ingredients they can't even sort of, even before they get to the point where they've got to get the ingredients, they've got to get the recipe. The recipes are the book in the library, which they need a teacher to sign the book out for them. Only problem is, it's such a dangerous book. I'm not quite sure what it's doing in Hogwarts at all, but it's such a dangerous <laughs> book that no teacher in their right mind would sign it out to a couple of year eights. But they've got a teacher in mind, Dave. (laughs) (laughs) Happily, Hogwarts has a number of teachers who can't reasonably be described as being in their right mind. (laughs) Which takes us on to chapter 10, the rogue bludger. Um, So before we get get to that bit, I just I want to note again um, the (laughs) the fact that. Hogwarts basically has, as I re- I was reading this sequence about getting hold of this here book, um, I realised that what bas- what Hogwarts basically has is like a section of the school library for like nuclear weapons or like <laughs> build your own explosives. And if, first of all, nobody goes, that's not a very good idea, is it, kids? Explosives. But then secondly, there's a rule system where it's down to the individual teacher's conscience about who they give access to. Which you think, fine, you screen the teachers, but this is a school that employs not only the openly evil Severus Snape, but also the openly moronic Gilderoy Lockhart. What could possibly go wrong? <laughs> it feels like a recipe for disaster, doesn't it? It feels like no seatbelts in the car, this, but we'll Absolutely. see where it well, goes. It feels like, we described this previously as a caper. I think now understanding what's going to be involved, we can upgrade that to a heist. And this is a school that couldn't be better suited for heists to come off. <laughs> so, chapter 10, The Rogue Bludger. Um just so it just so happened to be in Professor Lockhart's lesson. Um, he's doing some. He, he's got into the rhythm now where he gets Harry up to help him with reenactments, where he acts out his sort of his own finest moments in like saving wizarding kind. <laughs> and Harry's kind of going along with it because he wants to keep him in a good mood. 
because they want to get this permission slip signed, as we've said. And it's it's laughably easy. He doesn't even look at what book they're signing out. He's just like, yeah, yeah, sure. No, because he's because he's not only addicted to his own reflection, like narcissus. He's 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 reflect. He's he's addicted to his own signature. He just does this wonderful kind of flowery, feathery kind of swooping thing, and you can almost see him as he does it, kind of going, oh yeah. <laughs> baby, yeah, oh, oh, such style, finesse, Mwah. Anyway, what was I signing with executive power over the weapons? Uh, <laughs> no, just, never mind. Go, go ahead. <laughs> I, Gilderoy Lockhart. <laughs> what a, what a signature. Uh, here, I give permission to use the nuclear codes. Blah, 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 blah. <laughs> something, 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 nuclear codes. Something, 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 something. <laughs> By so, Lockhart. Gee. <laughs> So they go to the library, massive, massive grins on their faces, get this book out. The librarian's like, really? All right, well, there's <laughs> yeah, that's the other thing as well. There's somebody who's employed in this dangerous container of, well, a chamber of secrets, you might well call it, Matt, this library, right? And, and, and they've literally got somebody there whose job it is not to help children to learn, by the way, uh, but just to look really sour-faced to prevent people getting access to them. And she goes, well... This seems fine. <laughs> so they get the book. Off to the bathroom. They go to Morning Myrtle's bathroom because I think that's the one place that no one's going to sort of walk in with this book. And um, they open it up. They find the page. I mean, it's full of all these like horrifying things that you can do with magic. And um, they get to this page with loads of drawings about like what happens when you take this potion. And there's all these like people screaming in agony. And they're like, right, okay, that all looks great. Now, what the ingredients do you Right, right, right. Agony, screaming, noted, let's go. <laughs> Beyond the agony, there are two other issues they've got here. One is the length of the ingredients list, um, which involves, it's going to involve Robin Snape's private stores, which which has caper written all over it. In fact, it has heist written all over it. It has heist written all over it, doesn't it? We're upgrading this business from caper to heist. <laughs> it includes... Boom slang skin, which um, because Alan Rickman is such a memorable performance, all I yeah. ever hear is boom slang skin. Like the way he says it, <laughs> whenever I read it, it says it in my head. The only other this problem is, one is... Of, this is one of the animals, by the way, where it feels like it's it, like it feels like one of those perfectly made up words for in a magical universe. But boom slangs yeah. actually exist. That's an actual snake. Oh, is it? Yeah, it's a thing. Yeah, exactly. So, like, so many of these are like kind of like catch the tears of a rainbow, and you're like, well, that, that I'm not sure how I'd go about doing that. Yeah. But there's, but it's a snake. It's in Australia, and so like, you, so I just love the idea of the, the three parts of getting the ingredients for this being, uh, you know, something magical, something incredibly secret and magical, and somehow go on holiday to Australia and you'll be re. <laughs> yeah, that's, <laughs> that's the sourcing plan. Yeah, so presumably it's imported boom slang skin. Imported, which as we all know is the most high quality, but also the most expensive. Mm. Yeah. But the problem is it takes a month to brew this thing, so they're going to have a bit of time in between, even once they've got the ingredients. Um, I dare say, I dare say, <laughs> while this heist is bubbling away, some shenanigans might 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 fall into the gap. Shenanigan the number one is Quidditch. It's time to, it's time to get back on the Quidditch pitch. Um, we've not actually had a game yet. We've had a practice. We've, we've sort of re-explained all the rules, but this is sort of opening day, first game of the season, um, and it's 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 the big one. It's Gryffindor against Slytherin. This is the one that even if you're not interested in Quidditch, I reckon at school, you'll still go down to watch that one because it's probably yeah. going to kick off. 
<laughs> I think we just got a wonderful view into how you approach sports at school. <laughs> which which game shall I go and watch? Shall I support the old school? Shall I, what should we do? Which one? That one's the one where it's going to kick off. Right. Mayhem. Bring me the mayhem. <laughs> All I'm saying is that is that is top of the card. I mean, if, if you sort of got the option to go to Gryffindor against Slytherin or, you know, Who's going to if if they play if Ravenclaw against Hufflepuffs in Ravenclaw against Hufflepuffs. <laughs> no very much very much an undercard bout there you'd have to say <laughs> oh is it really were they a little bit nerky with each other oh fascinating there's probably some sort of weird like guilty enjoyment in watching the horror show that would be Slytherin against Hufflepuff <laughs> just absolutely taken to the cleaners but. Um, <laughs> Yeah, this is this is the one you this is the one you don't want to miss every season. Gryffindor yeah. against Slytherin. Absolutely, this is the one they roll out on a Sunday afternoon. You've got Gary Neville ready to talk about it. You've got Roy Keane. You know, you've got all the big hitters. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, and uh, Oliver Wood in his sort of team talk basically says, "Get the snitch or die trying to to Harry." So he's like, he's got he's got a mission. And I, um, I know yeah, we on. say this quite a lot, but Oliver Woods monomaniacal focus on on Quidditch games I like <laughs> it's funny but it's also it's, it's it's so dangerous and there's a bit of me that wants to go no this is very unrealistic but the thing is the thing is if you played sport at any level of any school anywhere you know that there was if you were unlucky your captain was the person who was like kind of listen some people say that this game is a matter of life and death I think we all know it's more important than that. So go out there. <laughs> do me proud. Do do me proud, said the 12-year-old. You know what I mean? Like it's... <laughs> yeah. Um, so the, the, the issue we've got with this game, difficult as, enough as it is, is Slytherin all have new brooms because Malfoy's dad's bought them all. But the downside to that is they've got to have Malfoy's seeker who seems pretty useless. Um, <laughs> the other issue is there's an enchanted bludger. One of these balls that sort of flies around trying to knock anyone off the broom seems to only be interested in knocking Harry off his broom. <laughs> so he's got to fly with like Fred and George next to him for like the first half of the game as they're just they're just constantly like whacking this ball away from him. Um, I, so this this was very entertaining for me because of I mean I, you know again because of the the repeated entertainment of the idea of a school sport involving literally part of the game is a weapon basically <laughs> that can that can try and kill you. But then secondly, that there's no, like, there's a ref. There is a ref who doesn't notice that this very dangerous part of the game is behaving even more dangerously than normal. And even when they call a pause, goes, I wonder if it's to do with the really dangerous, bludgy thing that's trying to kill him. I wonder if I should perhaps address this issue. No, 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 because the game must go on. <laughs> yeah, maybe that is. maybe that does sometimes happen. Like it's just bad luck that a blood just sort of just sort of seems to keep going just, for you. Just, just like foments a dark hatred in its heart against one particular player and yeah. just goes for him. This is why they need to bring in VAR in the uh, <laughs> in Quidditch. You can see like Madame Hooch going over to the screen to assess it. Like that's yeah, that's it. Yeah, but but the problem is Madame Hooch goes over to the screen. You know that that rogue bludger is going to whack her over the back of the head the moment she turns her back on it. Because yeah. because magic rogue bludger, what you gonna do? <laughs> the other thing I find quite, I always find quite strange with um, 
with with Quidditch and Harry is whenever there's like bad weather conditions, like it's it's throwing it down in this game. Yeah. So he he keeps struggling to see because because his glasses keep getting steamed up. There's like all the magic in the world, and he's still wearing glasses <laughs> in sport. <laughs> Is brilliant. It does. It does bring an extra intensity to it, doesn't it? And it's just. It's yeah. It's one of those wonderful things. You think about it for a moment, and you're like, "Hang on, this is like the opposite of it's Magic Dave, isn't it? It's just like there's not enough magic, Matt. There's not enough magic. <laughs> well, this is it. I mean, even in our like real life magic deprived world. Even we've managed to get to the stage where we're not sending kids out playing football in the glasses. In their <laughs> glasses, in the, never mind flying at speed through the rain. I um, yeah. I actually uh, a couple of weekends ago I went um, paintballing, and it was quite a sort of muggy day, and it was completely terrifying to be out there playing. <laughs> A sort of where you, you know you're playing a game where the point is you get hit very hard by things moving very quickly. Um, with a with a misted up mask because of course you can't as we all know you mustn't take your mask off once you started the game once people are, are holding their guns right so that means that for one of these games it was hilarious it was just a woodland full of people running around barely able to see their own feet <laughs> yeah <laughs> falling over each other and stuff like that and i think this game is not played nearly enough for comedy i'd like this scene to be played for comedy rather than drama <laughs> i wonder if like a little bit of lockhart's rubbed off on him and you can, you don't have to wear your glasses. You can wear like magical contacts. But Harry's like, no, no, the glasses are. This, this is the image. I'm wearing this is the, the brand. Oh, yeah, brand. This is the brand. I'm wearing the glasses. <laughs> Listen, I'm not going viral on Insta without with with uh, with contact lenses on, am I? <laughs> Maybe I should surgically remove this scar as well. They've already said it. Pomfrey's already said it in the hospital. I can to get get rid of your scar for you if you want. We've got the technology. It's magic, but I'm not interested in it. Listen, it's all the listen, brand. You get rid of that. You get rid of that scar, and I've got two tons of Harry Potter Lightning Child merch that I'm not going to shift. <laughs> yeah. So he's wearing the glasses, basically, regardless of what's going on. Um, the, the the sum total of him wearing the glasses, the bad weather conditions, the rogue bludger, uh, means the sixty nil down when Wood calls a timeout. Furious he scores sixty nil. Even having grown up with football, it's pretty funny to me when rugby scores can be forty or fifty something. You know what I mean? Yeah. <laughs> 60 nil at half time is it good <laughs> is it bad who can say yeah well it's it's one of those ones it's a bit weird isn't it because it's effectively six nil it's six goals um yeah. 60 points i'm not yeah. quite sure why the extra zero is there but he, he, he know he basically knows harry if if slithering get beyond 150 nil up which yeah. you know they're halfway there already almost <laughs> it doesn't matter what he does with this snitch so sort of it does add that like extra level of time pressure like he's gonna he's got to sort of do something quick because they're getting hammered here and the de- decision they come to is look i'll face this bludger on my own and uh, <laughs> let's let's send fred and george in to sort of keep the score down basically uh, <laughs> again, I come to the scoring structure of this game, which I know is not funny, and I can I can only apologise for going into this again. But the whole point of the game is it doesn't matter how many goals you score if you catch the golden snitch, right? Like that's it, and the game goes on until you catch the golden snitch. So the the, the goals are pointless. There's no well, no because the, because if if enough goals go in, you get 150 points for catching the golden snitch. So if enough goals go in against you, then basically. You either catch it and lose, or you've got to wait for your team to catch up. But if you get so, if you get in an absolute shoe in, 
Uh, there's, there's not much point. It's a game that's designed to expect fifteen nil victories, basically. Like yeah. that's the that's where they've decided to make the pinch point come in. Fifteen. <laughs> yeah. All right. Okay. All right. So I appreciate that. I, I still think that's silly, but I think that does make slightly more sense. I do quite but, like the idea of the, the fact that they've just left Harry to face this bludger alone means yeah. Fred and George. That means Fred and George are both going after that one other one and just constantly whacking at slithering players. So it's like a proper <laughs> counter punch. <laughs> just trying to take out as many of the opposition uh, as they say can. Say what you like about the brothers Weasley, but you, you're pretty sure he's gonna. They're gonna have a great time doing that, aren't you? They're just, they're, you know, they're having an absolute whale of a time. Yeah. Never mind tactics, just go them. No, um, but what I was going to say was the like they're six nil down after a really bad first half, right? Which means even if they have a similarly terrible second half, they're still going to win if they get the golden snitch. And well, the person whose job it is to get the golden snitch, they're like, oh, we'll leave him. He's he's the point. He's the expendable bit, and we'll make sure we score, run up the score in a, in a in a kind of normal way elsewhere. Like, yeah, what is that? Well, I think I think Harry's saying, look, I can't see. I mean, I can, I can barely see anything because of my glasses, which, by the way, I'm not taking off because of the brand. <laughs> but it's also not helping the fact that these two two massive like fifties are flying right next to me all the time. So it's sort of oh, it's kind of a gamble. Oh, I see. Yeah, he wants uh, to be nimble. Yeah, and everyone else is like pretty much everyone's like, you can't do that, Harry. It's you know, it's really dangerous. And, and Wood's like, eh. <laughs> <laughs> Wood's like. Mm. <laughs> victory maybe <laughs> yeah so the game continues uh harry's doing all these like mad maneuvers just to keep away from the thing and then uh he's <laughs> this is great malfoy is sort of just like he should be looking for the snitch but he can't resist just sort of floating about just laughing at harry so he's, he's he makes some sort of quip and harry looks over and sees like the snitch is next <laughs> to his like, head why is it <laughs> It's incredible. I it. it's and I, I really do love that image because so much of this book is about Draco Malfoy being appalling and getting away with it. Um, but then, but but he is actually a really, really terrible counterpart to Harry in this grudge match to end all <laughs> grudge matches because he can't help himself. He just, he would rather throw another snide comment at the guy than beat him in, in a game. He's very much the sort of... You, you know the um, uh, the footballer Diego Costa, yeah, who's like whole thing is putting opponent. He's a striker and he scores goals by making defenders so angry that they defend poorly. Yeah. And it's as if it's it, it, it is as if Costa read Malfoy and went, "I can improve on that." <laughs> yeah. So Harry sees this. He sees a snitch. He's like he's, he's just hoping Malfoy is going to keep badgering him so he doesn't notice himself. He gets a, he gets a, he gets hit with the bludger. It breaks his arm. This is like, it's serious yeah. stuff. It's like, this it's not like. I think the ref's fine with it. Yeah, I think we said last time there must be some campaign from mums and dads to get like sponge bludgers or something because this is like, and you, you know, really you know that there's a counter campaign as well going. Listen, murderously dangerous bludgers were fine in my day. <laughs> the odd broken hip was a small price to pay for the joy of competition, and I, for one, will be supporting the campaign. For spiky diamond bludgers. <laughs> Two words. Character building. That's what, that's what proper bludgers are. <laughs> Two more words. Passing on the terrible experiences of my youth to another generation. 
Anyway, he gets hit with the bludger, breaks his arm, uh, but he still manages to sort of like herschel towards Malfoy, who thinks he's like, <laughs> I think Malfoy thinks he's finally wound Harry up enough that he's going to try and just like kill him. But he obviously hurtles past him, grabs the, catches the snitch, crash lands, and they've won the game. Um, but Harry's got a broken arm. But luckily there's a there's a teacher on the scene to help him out. Oh, that's lucky. Yeah. Good. So Lockhart arrives. Oh. And uh, he, he somehow removes all of the bones in Harry's arms. Absolutely incredible. <laughs> totally worthlessly as well. Like everybody's going, we've literally got a magical <laughs> hospital 50 yards that way. They will fix it in a twinkling. And he's like, no, no, no. Here we go. No, look, look. The most important thing is that Gildy looks good. So shazam. Oh, oh, oh I, I, I am sorry. Uh, that must be your fault somehow. Yeah. So Harry's got a uh, an uncomfortable, very uncomfortable night in hand because he's got to drink this thing called Skelly Grow and grow his sort of grow his bones back, um, which is which is disappointing. But on the other hand, they've won and they have this sort of big victory party in the hospital ward, which is quite nice. It's just one of those moments as a child when you read it, you're like, oh yeah, that sounds amazing. I'd love yeah, to be, be sort great. of part of that. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah, very much, very much. And you can just see, you can see at that party, can't you? Wood being there, very much sort of holding court and just having to work really hard not to go, worth it, worth it. Yeah, yeah. Tactical genius. 100% Tactical right call. <laughs> yeah. So late at night, as Harry's kept up with his sort of slowly, agonizingly growing back bones, um, he gets a visit from uh, from Dobby, who's got a confession to make. Uh, he's basically been behind a lot of the stuff that has been like ruining Harry's life for the last few months. <laughs> like he he uh, sealed the barrier to stop them getting to Hogwarts originally. Um, it was he he was the he was the uh, the culprit in chanting the bludger. Um, as well earlier on the thing that Harry gets most annoyed about is this barrier being shut yeah. and he, he says to Dobby you nearly got me and Ron expelled and I think that's a little bit rich from Harry I'm not sure that, <laughs> <laughs> no, that he's entirely responsible Rick, was it was it Dobby Harry or was it you you little talker <laughs> Dobby didn't force you on that caper with the car <laughs> That's amazing. <laughs> if only I'd known it was a magical house elf, I could have just told them and got there anyway. You know. Yeah, uh, no, that's very funny. I and also the bit that Dobby literally says here, which is it's something like "better very badly injured than dead," which <laughs> I'm not saying that's untrue, but I, I'm not sure Dobby's quite got the argument as down pat as he would hope there. <laughs> oh yeah, no. Now you put it that way, I'm completely fine with you breaking my arm. <laughs> uh, Dobby's also got some things to, to to sort of tell Harry about the Chamber of Secrets. He says the reason I'm trying to keep you away is because the Chamber of Secrets is open again. Ooh. And Harry's like, "What again? Hang on a minute. Again? When was it yeah. open before?" But um, he doesn't get time to ask because footsteps are coming up the hall. Dobby vanishes. The teachers are bringing in another body. Someone else has been paralysed. Dave. It's Colin Creevy. Oh, oh what, what a shame. How, yeah. how enormously... Ooh, yeah, I mean, and, and such an irritating character as well to be... 
removed from... Oh, well, that is sad. Yeah. It is sad. First student to get to get got. Um, I like how Creevy and later this Hufflepuff who gets it um, aren't considered important enough to like close the school or put it on lockdown. They like they seem to be a bit also run. And then when it gets to later on when more students are attacked, everyone starts freaking out. At the moment, it's like, oh no, Creevy's been got. Listen, it's, a bit it's one thing to have Creevy and the unnamed kid from the unimpressive house, but let's be clear. <laughs> Gryffindors will not stand for this. <laughs> so yeah, Creevy's been paralysed, and um, and they McGonagall's saying to Dumbledore, God, you know who's opened the chamber? And Dumbledore's like, the real question is how. Which is you know, I mean both. I think are quite important questions. But I, suppose <laughs> yeah, the how I would say Albus, the, the two are closely related. <laughs> Uh, chapter 11 did you it's funny isn't it with Dumbledore you can kind of say stuff like that and everyone just sort of nods and doesn't question yeah. it and oh, you kind of feel like if, mm. if someone else had said it they'd have been like what <laughs> <laughs> have we entertained the possibility that Dumbledore it maybe is past his prime at the point of these books like he's presented Oof. as being this like, like incredibly wise sage wizard of knowledge and power and so on and is there a possibility that he was that sort of 20 years ago and now he's just sort of like slightly falling asleep a lot of the time and kind of going, whoa, yes, obviously. <laughs> I, th- I think there's a suspicion. Sorry, what's happening? Yeah, I think there's a s- suspicion, particularly amongst people who perhaps don't like Dumbledore very much, that that might be the case. And yeah. without wanting to reveal any spoilers, um, I think in later books, they are pretty sort of, <laughs> pretty clearly sort of disabused of that view <laughs> put it that way <laughs> alright I look forward to it more to come uh, chapter 11 the dueling club uh, so Harry goes back to the bathroom after his release from hospital um, and Hermione's busy brewing this potion up it's quite I quite like this image she's got it like over the toilet in a cubicle and she's got a little waterproof fire in the sort of bowl which is keeping it going so she's brewing it literally on the toilet um and uh and they're sort of working out they're sort of try, they're working out their own theories as it's as it's as they're sort of as they're brewing and they're thinking maybe the fact it was opened before maybe Malfoy's dad opened it Ooh. possible so they, they've, they're still very sort of firmly on the Malfoy Malfoy's chief suspects absolutely I mean that Malfoy is there to be suspect number one in any and all evil shenanigan that takes place in uh, in 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 Hogwarts, right? Like that's the purpose of the character. Mm. Yeah, uh, the, the, there's an all-pervading fear amongst the students in Hogwarts now. Well, yeah. now Creevy's got it, but, but, partly because the teachers don't appear to be putting in any extra measures to protect them. So there's these like <laughs> black black marketing like little charms that started started coming up. I'd imagine Fred and George are in a bit of this. To be fair, oh, one hundred percent lovable rogues they are. Yeah, 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 like. Weasley's wards definitely keep you safe zero times out of one guaranteed yeah okay it's time it's time for the heist uh, it's Snape's potion class and uh, Harry's Harry's smuggled in a filibuster filibuster firework which he he lobs into Goyle's cauldron and like it explodes <laughs> this this sort of potion goes everywhere that sort of engorges people's noses and hands and stuff. There's absolute chaos and Hermione slips into the storeroom 
Next lot of stuff sneaks out. <laughs> I, this is this is perfectly mounted. This is Ocean's Eleven grade <laughs> yeah. excellence here, right? Of like, first of all, getting Hermione to do the job, but yes. but then then using. I mean, we don't get much of a description about of the filibuster firework apart from the fact that it makes an enormous mess. <laughs> but I found it quite entertaining because oh, so this is a very weird bit of trivia. Filibuster is what you say in Parliament if you decide to get up and talk so much that nobody else can get anything done. Right? Yeah. And so I just love the idea of a filibuster firework being one that you throw, and the moment you throw it, it just goes. Mr. Speaker, I have a number of points to make here, and I will listen to the sound of my own voice. And it does all of its chaos just by boring people absolutely to tears. So they themselves overthrow their uh, their their cauldrons and all of their stuff. Just like, oh, I can't stand it. Make it stop the self-important bloviating. Ah. Uh, one of the effects of this firework is that Malfoy's got a massive nose. I just imagine it like some kind of cartoon. It's just yeah, like I like Obelix or something, right? <laughs> yeah. Um, and the other thing I like about this, it, it completely sort of played into the heist. It's even got the final scene of like the victim where Snape sort of like furiously like lifting this like remains of this firework from inside the cauldron. Like, <laughs> who did this? <laughs> Potter. Potter. Yeah, he looks at Potter. He's like, "I'm going to make sure whoever did this is expelled if I ever find out." <laughs> Harry's like, "You'll never find out. You're never going to find out." <laughs> I do love that. That just that, that like small white hot flame of, of defiance. It's like, <laughs> yeah. yeah, but you're not going to, are you? <laughs> it's one of those ones. Snape's almost sure Harry did it. Harry's almost sure Snape knows he did it, but neither yeah. of them can prove it. So. <laughs> yeah, like, just that complicated little bit of diplomacy between teacher and student you know I know you know but you can't get me for it Snape's angry he wants to take out some aggression luckily an opportunity is coming up because Gilderoy Lockhart has decided to begin a dueling club and <laughs> <laughs> he and Snape show This up. is like somebody who's never juggled before deciding to very publicly start a chainsaw juggling club, isn't it? <laughs> I say again, what could possibly go wrong? <laughs> so he, he turns up. All these kids are like really excited, obviously, because it's dueling club. That sounds awesome. Um, he turns up with Snape next to him. I presumably Lockhart's picked out Snape because he, he he doesn't look that imposing. He's he's grumpy, but he's a he's a bit skinny and stuff. He probably thinks I can probably take him. It's either him or little Flitwick, and uh, Flitwick's in charms, so he probably knows what he's doing. So Lockhart's picked his opponent. They both show up. He's like, right, we're going to do a demonstration. We're not going to kill each other. And, and like Harry thinks Snape looks like he might he might kill him. <laughs> like, you don't know Snape very well, do you, sir? <laughs> I quite like the difference here where like Lockhart's looking very fabulous and charismatic and Snape's just looking dangerous. Yeah, 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 that's it. You just see see the fringe flopping down over, over Snape's eyes. Yeah. The look of fury behind. This is not going to go well. Uh, Snape's Expelliarmus uh, spell basically blows Lockhart off his feet. It's funny with that Expelliarmus spell because sometimes it just sort of disarms you. And sometimes I think if you're angry enough, it literally blows the guy off his feet. And that's what (laughs) happens this time. And Lockhart sort of tries to laugh it off and say, yeah, no, we did that on purpose and all that. The usual stuff. Classic. Yeah, classic. 
the kids get partnered up. Um, Snape's got a real eye for a bit of drama. He partners Harry with Malfoy. He's like, this should be good. This should be a good laugh. <laughs> a real, a real eye for a bit of drama. You might better call it a taste for chaos. Yeah. Like these two kids despise each other, probably from generation unto generation. Let's definitely the first exercise in a room where they're notionally allowed to be violent to one another. Let's put them together. See what happens. <laughs> what happens is a good imaginative duel, actually. Like, mm. um, I think Harry hits Malfoy with a tickle charm. He's just laughing his head <laughs> off. Malfoy hits Harry with this, like, charm where his legs start dancing without him knowing. It's quite, like, uh, for for a sort of, for a, what's effectively a schoolyard fight, it's quite yeah. imaginative and quite fun, actually. Yeah, 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 yeah. I did like the kind of, like, just the, the, the involuntary dancing one just struck me as really funny because in my mind it played out as, like, a sort of river dance thing, you know, where, like, <laughs> yeah. the top half of your body is motionless and, the, and your legs are just going completely, like, blurred and brilliant. Yeah, exa- it, I, exactly the same. But in my head, you, everyone could hear the music as well. Like, the music yeah. starts playing. <laughs> diddly, 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 diddly. <laughs> just, his legs doing that. And I look of cold unbridled fury on harry's face as he realizes he can't stop <laughs> yeah um once this once this sort of call a halt because this was supposed to be you just do expelliarmus and no one's yeah. paid attention everyone the first chance everyone's got to basically use a spelling anger at another human being they've just gone for it it's gone just for absolutely gone i think i would reflect if i was a teacher at this school on the uh, bubbling undercurrent of violence that apparently <laughs> emerges whenever you give somebody a quarter of a chance to do anything. Yeah, yeah. So, um, so yeah, it's a bit, it's pretty chaotic. I love how that Hermione ended up being paired with this Miss Bullstrode, who's this absolute like unit of a Slytherin girl, <laughs> and the the ones have been discarded, and she just got Hermione in this like <laughs> headlock. Of all the people, I mean, that's funny. Like Hermione of all people. Going, this is a Knuckles job, this. And just going for it. <laughs> also, um, we've mentioned sort of like the whole concept of the dueling club and the sort of perchance for violence amongst these kids. But um, they've sent Ron in there with what everyone knows is a clearly like dangerously faulty wand. It looks like he's nearly killed Seamus. It's like whatever <laughs> he's done with that wand. Yeah, it's like this is it the same quickly. wand that had him vomiting slugs. Right yeah, when he's like exactly, initially yeah. somebody. <laughs> yeah, I love the continued sort of like just dog eat dog approach from the like teaching staff to Ron with his wand. And like, well, it's yeah. his own wand, it's his own problem. If it's not working, <laughs> he's gotta deal with it. <laughs> yeah, it's very actually in a way that strikes me as a very British slash American thing, isn't it? Like your ability to do well at school is down to how much money you will spend on your equipment. And we're all fine with that. No no interest whatsoever in having a level playing field at all. Malfoy wants to come in with what's essentially a magical bazooka and all you can <laughs> afford is a slightly bent drinking straw with a lightning on the side. We'll just see what happens. Yeah. Uh so they um they decide okay right everyone's not going to duel at once we'll just watch Harry and we'll just watch Harry and Malfoy because um, it's by far the most interesting fight anyway so the um the teachers put them two up on stage 
and uh, <laughs> on stage again, not helping them say this is a learning opportunity. Very important. This is a sober learning opportunity. So get on stage. We'll turn the lights on and everybody will chant fight, 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 fight. <laughs> Snake sort of whispers in Malfoy's ears like, you know, it'll be a laugh. Do this spell. Make this snake sort of burst out of your wand. So they do that. He does that. The snake appears. Lol. <laughs> and uh, Lockhart strides forward. Don't worry about it. I've got it. Cast this spell, which basically like blasts the snake up into the air. and just gets it really angry. <laughs> and it looks like it's about to attack one of the students. This Finch Fletch, Justin Finch Fletchley. And um, Harry somehow talks it down talking in what it turns out to be like parcel tongue which is sort of snake language and um he sort of does this and expects sort of thanks but everyone freaks out and thinks that he was sort of egging it on and uh and everyone partly because um it's so rare that someone can can do this talk to snakes and it's not considered a very like good thing it's basically salazar slytherin and voldemort could do it no one else so it's not it's not great for harry that he can do this even if he was trying to save someone yeah 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 and i I, i'm not sure i mean so the story here needs everything to turn on a sixpence and harry to you know be kind of blamed for a lot of stuff it is a bit weird that everybody is just like presumably everybody can see that malfoy's an appalling person right and so we've just had the whole setup has been harry and malfoy going at each other and then something happens that Malfoy does and Harry prevents. And everybody goes, that was Harry, that was. And Malfoy appears to cop for absolutely nothing from this. And it's really <laughs> weird. Yeah, well, this is this is just how um, how freakish this parcel tongue um, sort of ability yeah. is, I guess. It seems to be like something that everyone knows is a big deal and bad. But um, almost nobody can do it. So it's surprising to me that everybody recognises it right away rather than just going, what was that weird whispery thing he was doing with his voice? (laughs) Um, It does give Harry sort of pause to that night sort of think about it and think, you know what, that is pretty weird that I can do that. And he thinks back to when the sorting hat said that he would be best suited or do very, very well in Slytherin. And he starts to wonder, you know what, am I actually the heir of Slytherin and I just don't know it? And like... Am I the baddies? Am I the baddie? Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, it's weird that, isn't it? Like, I think that the sorting hat has a lot to answer for in that scene. That it sort of, <laughs> it took this very sort of musing, chin strokey, even though it hasn't got a chin, kind of whimsical approach. Like, hmm. Evil or good? <laughs> good or evil? I have thoughts. And unique insight to the situation. Not going to share it. Uh, Gryffindor. <laughs> Off you go. <laughs> like, well, what... It's just how much of a formative thing for his character that that becomes. And the, the sorting hat's presumably just sitting there going, nope, not my job to be clear. It's my job to be uh, certain. So there he goes. <laughs> Don't expect too much of me. I'm just a hat. After I'm all. just Come a on. hat. Listen, <laughs> if you want wisdom, try people, Yeah. <laughs> That is actually an important formative moment for Harry, which we'll get into later in the book. Um, mm. But yeah, it's, it's interesting you sort of, yeah, you point that out. Um, Harry goes looking for Justin Finch Fletchley because basically everyone thinks he's got it in for him now. It's like, it's like that, do you know, at school where 
um, I don't know if you had this, but I certainly did where there's a misunderstanding yeah. between you and another student and suddenly like word gets round the school that yeah. you've got to have a fight or you've got it's it in for him. And it's like, and you're like, you're desperately trying to defuse it. Like, look, I, I, this wasn't what it was about. And I was like, oh no, yeah, it's going to kick off. You, yeah, yeah, it's going to fight. We, we know, we know. And it's funny, isn't it? Because you could, that can happen to you. It happened to me as well. If you have absolutely no track record of throwing a punch, people are still <laughs> like, fight, 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 fight. Yeah. So, um, so Harry goes looking for this Justin Finch Fletcher to try and sort of clear things up. He comes across these this group of Hufflepuffs who are basically they're basically hiding him. They keep they're trying to keep him safe, and um, he overhears them gossiping about Harry, saying maybe he's a dark wizard. And you know, um, he had that he had that argument uh, with uh, you know I don't know what I've put here argument with HP. No, oh, maybe they have that. Yeah, he's he's they sort of saying maybe he's a dark wizard. You know, he yeah. He might manage to survive that attack by Voldemort. Maybe only a like really dark wizard could have done that. And uh, I love this bit. They've heard the they've heard this rumor that he hates the Muggles that he lives with. And I love the fact that with these kind of big sort of tall tales, yeah. there's always a kernel of truth. And that's yeah. absolutely true. He does hate the Muggles. Absolutely. And I love his response to that. Is like, listen, you want to try living with them for a bit. <laughs> Not even swap, just for a little while. You tell me you don't despise them. <laughs> Which is great because he says it pretty much exactly like that. And what he means is, you want to try to live... I, yeah, of course I hate them. They're awful people. But what sort of uh, the Hufflepuffs listening could hear there is, yeah, of course I hate them. They're muggles. Yeah. Like, yeah. it could be taken yeah. in one of two ways. Yeah. Yeah, very, <laughs> very, very much. Uh, just that, yeah, again, like sort of this like balanced on a knife edge type of thing. That he's like he's now having to deal with the sort of wicked whispers around the school as well as everything else that's sort of that that's going on. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. So the Hufflepuffs won't give up Finch Fletchley. That to be to be fair, considering they genuinely believe Harry's this like quietly like powerful dark wizard, it's very brave of them <laughs> to say, "Look, back off. Yeah, we're not giving, we're not giving up Justin." See, that's where the Hufflepuff thing really kicks in, right? You see, most of the time, easy going. They're not going to try it in a in a in a Quidditch match. But if you're a dark wizard, eh, and you turn up trying to take one of their own again, they'll they'll oppose you. Yeah, the second time, off. yeah. <laughs> Unfortunately for them, for Hufflepuff, brave as they are about trying to trying to hide him, they're not very good at it. Um, and Harry wanders back towards the gomma room and stumbles across the body of Justin Finch Fletchley. He's somewhere like out and about. I reread that as though I'd missed a page. I was like, kind of, hang on, he's there and now he just walks around. I honestly thought this was like a dream sequence, right? Because Nearly Headless Nick is there as well. And yeah. he's like, it's all goes a bit weird. And there's no lights on in the corridor. And I was like, oh, hey, dream sequence. No, no, it's just Thursday at Hogwarts. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, so Justin and Nearly Headless Nick are both lying there paralysed. Um, and then Peeves comes around the corner and sees Harry. So, <laughs> to be honest, Harry gets caught in, in sort of... This kind of speaks well for Harry, to be honest. He gets caught because he doesn't run away straight away. He's in two minds. He's like, oh, I can't leave him here. But then I, I'm, he's very aware of just how bad this looks if he's the one who finds them. And as he's deciding what to do, yeah, Peeves sees yeah. him and, and then yeah. sort of saves the alarm. <laughs> 
Of all of all the people in Hogwarts you don't want to find. Like, I mean, top two clearly would be Malfoy and Snape, but actually Peeves comes pretty close behind. Because he not only finds out about it, but he bursts into song. He's got <laughs> he's got a rhyme ready to go for the situation. He spits bars about what's happening. <laughs> no Potter, you rotter. <laughs> to the point where I think he's prepared that. Yeah. I think I think Peeves has been walking around for days going, I bet it's Potter. I hope it's Potter. It's amazing. Hang on. It it rhymes. It, Potter the Rotter. It, Potter. Rotter. Nick, you're halfway to a couplet here. Come on, you can do it. This is going to be amazing. Burn. Burn. <laughs> the Hufflepuffs sort of come running to the rescue and Ernie McMillan, one of them, goes, go out in the act. And like Harry's like, oh, damn it. <laughs> I just, but just as a sidebar here, Ernie McMillan is such a sort of mid fifties greengrocer kind of a name. Like it's the the name of the main character in like a, a Ronnie Barker comedy series from the fifties or sixties. <laughs> and I just love the idea of you know sort of a whatever he is, thirteen year old boy being called Ernie McMillan. And just in my head, I can just imagine him having a slightly sort of peevish voice of like, "Caught in the act, Potter." <laughs> That's really funny you say that because um, I have a very clear image of him because it. It reminds me so much of Harold Macmillan, who was like an <laughs> British Prime Minister. I imagine Ernie Macmillan with this like mane of white hair and a white moustache, but he's but he's only eleven. <laughs> like, Ernie Macmillan. Anyway. You tell you what, he's getting out of the filibuster, isn't he? <laughs> exactly. So anyway, Potter gets Potter gets sent to the headmaster's office again. He's like, oh no. This could be it again. This could <laughs> this be it. Sooner or later, this is going to start reflecting badly on me. <laughs> yeah. Which takes us to chapter 12, the Polyjuice Potion. And this is the first time, actually, surprisingly enough, it's the first time that Harry's ended up in Dumbledore's office. Um, he goes in and it's, it's a really interesting, it's like he says, the by far the most interesting of the offices. Yeah. It's, um, it's got all this weird and wonderful gadgets and contraptions in there. Um, it's, a nice touch which um sort of we come back to throughout the rest of the series there are all these um paintings of past headmasters yeah. uh, all on the walls so like a little piece of all the old headmasters like exist within the office and sometimes they yeah. sort of talk to each other and talk to the current headmaster um which is quite nice and yeah. uh there's also this phoenix called fox Who's there? And just as Fork, just as Fawkes the Phoenix, Fawkes the Phoenix, and just as Harry arrives, he dies, and he's like, "Oh, this is the last thing I need." I'm already in trouble. <laughs> oh, and absolutely amazing. <laughs> just like, look, I have a reputation, which, and I want to be clear about this, is completely unearned, and I've nothing <laughs> against the bird, nothing, nothing at all. Imagine if if Dumbledore had a slightly more wicked sense of humour, he could enter here and go, "Harry, what?" What's happened to the bird? <laughs> what have, what you, have done? you done? <laughs> <laughs> maybe, maybe he knows that. That might just be enough to push Harry over they the just edge. Push him over <laughs> the edge. That's. Do you want? Do you want Salazar Slytherin? Because that's how you get Salazar Slytherin. Let me yeah. tell you. <laughs> maybe that's how. Maybe that's how he ended up with Voldemort. He just pushed it too far. He's not <laughs> making that mistake his, again. His, his robust sense of bants. Was pushed entirely too far. I'm sorry. All right, sorry. It wasn't me. Yeah. So um, 
so yeah, it turns out this this phoenix, uh, as Dumbledore comes in and explains, look, chill out, it's not a problem. Um, the phoenix constantly dies and is reborn. And Harry notices, yeah. as he says it, this little sort of head pokes up from the ashes. Um, so it's a, it's a, it's quite, a, it's a, obviously a classic, uh, classical uh, animal, isn't it, of 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 legend, the phoenix. Um, yeah. There's a couple of extra bits that are added, sort of attached to him here. I don't know if this is, I don't know if this is, I don't know anything about phoenixes outside of Harry Potter, but um, this one has healing powers and can carry heavy loads, which um, which could it may be worth putting a pin in that for later. Um, uh, yeah, yeah. I, I, okay, okay. Chekhov's magical animal, I see. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, yeah, no, I hadn't actually thought of that. I don't know a lot about this, about phoenixes either. I should, phoenixes, perhaps? In, mm. uh, in, in, like, classical legend, I don't know anything about them. Um, but yeah, I, I like this. I like this whole sequence. I actually really like this sequence because it's skipping over the fact that it's really funny that the headmaster's office needs to be secured with a password, which will nonetheless be used in the presence of the pupils who are being brought to the headmaster's office. So now, yeah. all know, now all the all the all the students who have to go now all know how to get into this magical sanctum. But I also really liked it. It's just sort of a sort of an image of like the good world of wizarding or like, you know, like a kind of center of something because the rest of school is quite, as I think, you know, it is for many of us, I think particularly at that age, it's, it's an uncertain place, right? In many ways, it's just boring and work a day, but in many other mm. ways, you're not entirely sure that you're safe. Mm. And, um, oh, maybe that, maybe that's just my school and I'll, 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 uh, happily, uh, cop to that. But, um, uh, but then, you know, Harry's trying to find his identity as a wizard and then here's this room that he walks into that's full of a tradition worth being a part of. You mm. know, in addition to all the mad stuff that goes on around the edges, like, the, you know, the incredibly uh, lackadaisical approach to securing really dangerous books and playing a sport where a broken arm is to be expected rather than avoided. And, you know, <laughs> all of that stuff, like... I really felt like this kind of this room being a place where he gets a glimpse of wizarding as something other than secondary education, and it yeah. was actually it was quite nice. I thought. Yeah, no, it's good. It's a good point. There's also um, in the middle of this conversation, Hagrid bursts in and says, "I'm his alibi because it just so happened that just before he comes across Finch Fletchley, he sort of saw Hagrid." Uh, so Hagrid's trying to like get him off on a technicality, and um, yeah. and Dumbledore's like, "Relax, Hagrid, it's all right." <laughs> <laughs> Don't worry, I'm the fix is in. Don't worry about it. <laughs> the fix is in. <laughs> this is Potter. Don't worry about it. He's going <laughs> nowhere. <laughs> <laughs> the fix is in. Um, yeah, and the, the this sort of ends with Dumbledore saying to Harry, "Look, have you got something you want to tell me?" Because he's sort of, it feels like Dumbledore's got an inkling that Harry knows more than he's letting on. Yeah. But Harry's thinking, ah, he remembers basically Ron saying, it's not good to say that you're hearing voices. And he yeah. thinks, you know what, I'm just going to keep this to myself for now. I've got my own harebrained plan that I'm going to work through before I yeah. go to Dumbledore. I, I thought that question was, first of all, very realistic. But very realistic of the sort of question that teachers and, and uh, in school would ask you to try and get you to confess to anything. Yeah. And therefore, a really inept thing for a headmaster who probably needs this kid to tell the truth to actually use, is there anything you want to tell me? Meaning, what are you guilty about? <laughs> right. 
rather than strange things have been going on, you know, like and actually talking through it with him and being like, don't worry about it, it's okay. And yeah. I just love that, like, at this most crucial moment, Dumbledore is a slightly kind of fumbling kind of uh, grandfather figure who isn't quite sure how to talk to yeah. very young people. Yeah. And, yeah, he's just quite, he was quite realistic, I thought. Yeah, or I suppose, yeah, talks to them in, in quite a traditional, like, old-fashioned way of like teacher student that's that's a tra- yeah. that's a classic teacher student conversation isn't it rather than yeah. a, a sort of a, a thoroughly like more modern one where you try and yeah speak slightly yeah. differently and just draw a draw a confession out <laughs> more slyly yeah. um anyway uh we then go on to uh basically the so how, how he leaves and now sort of panic is we're sort of almost fever pitch in terms of panic because the thing that seems to get people most upset is nearly headless Nick's been paralysed. It's like, what could paralyse a ghost? This thing's really dangerous. Yeah. Um, surprisingly enough, most students are going home for the holidays and I'm, I'd be quite surprised if many of them come back. Now there are two paralysed people in the hospital wing. Um, yeah. Although, yeah, I just, I, yeah. To their credit, they don't actually go. Please don't tell your parents about this. Although, <laughs> although you wouldn't be surprised if something so completely unprofessional was done in this school of the, you know, deadly sports and the rest of it. But yeah, I'd be surprised if anybody, if if very many people come back. <laughs> Obviously, this this sort of Harry being at the scene of the crime again um, means it's most of the school. But no, it's not, not great. great. Doesn't look good. Most of the school do believe that he's now the heir. But um, Fred, I love, I love this. You kind of got to love Fred and George for this. They f- both find it hilarious and really sort of play up to it. They're like walking down the corridor ahead of Harry going, make way for the heir of Slytherin. <laughs> <laughs> it's so good. And it's so clearly like either they are really, really appalling people or they're in their own kind of incredibly robust like puppy dragonish way just really trying to make it funny and trying yeah. to like trying to make it easier for him and yeah. it's such a it's it's actually it's both in, like and i say you know top bands that is what the weasley twins are there for absolute top bands but <laughs> it is also an incredibly kind thing to do yeah and i'm not sure harry necessarily feels it that way but it's a lot less He's basically got two people going with him everywhere, like pointing out and laughing at the elephant in the room when everybody else thinks he's a psychopath. <laughs> and that's like, that's I'd be really happy if I had two mates doing that, to be honest. Yeah. Uh, Christmas morning, he gets his presents. He gets a load of really nice ones. And um, <laughs> from the Dursleys, he gets a toothpick, which is, which is great. I love the fact that they don't get him nothing. They just always get him like a derisory present. <laughs> this is a toothpick for Christmas. Oh dear. He's so good. He's like, well, obviously, so we've, we're going down the list here. Obviously, we've got 9,000 presents for Dudley and something essentially quite, you know, milk toast and emotionless for each other because we're English, damn it. And, uh, and obviously, we bought for all of the drill salesmen in the Southeast. <laughs> and uh, Potter, <laughs> Potter, toothpick, toothpick, lovely. <laughs> Hopefully, it falls out of the envelope on the way and he gets nothing. <laughs> well, no, I think it'd be a toothpick. And Petunia's like, to be honest, Vernon, I think you'd prefer nothing. 
Yes, Petunia, that's the point. (laughs) (laughs) Precisely. (laughs) We have a used toothpick. I feel we should be... Right away, excellent. Thank you very much. Give it here. Let me just... Let me just just leave a little bit of toast on the end there from this morning. (laughs) Tape it to a card. Potter, horrible magic school, somewhere in the world. (laughs) Send... Love it, yeah. It never fails to disappoint, did it? It does. It's brilliant. Um, he should be he should be brandishing that toothpick around whenever the Hufflepuffs are saying, "You hate your Muggle families." Like, look what they're doing. Look at this. You see? Do you see? It's not because they're Muggles. <laughs> they're mocking. They're them. awful people. <laughs> they're sitting at home laughing. Look at Vernon look, and Petunia. Now the other look, lads are laughing see? at us. There's food. There's food on the end of it. Do you see? <laughs> Happy Christmas! <laughs> Happy Christmas! <laughs> oh dear! So it's Christmas dinner is usually great. Um, again, another little moment. They've got some good good moments in this chapter. Fred and George, they've managed to charm Percy's prefect badge to make it say Pinhead, which is, which is I just love how just. Just immature it is. It really made me chuckle. It's so petty, isn't it? It's so good. And the fact that like it's it's perfectly judged for its audience as well, that everybody's looking at it going Pinhead. <laughs> now there's another um there's another Christmas present awaiting the uh the, the terrible three in the toilets because the apologies potion is ready. So they've got to get the final ingredients, which are a bit of a bit of crab, a bit of goil, and something for Hermione. She turns out she's got a, a couple of hairs off that Bulstrode's robe, which she managed to managed to get when she she was in a headlock before. Right. There's always a reason with Hermione, isn't there? You think that was mindless violence, but no, it was very mindful <laughs> yeah. violence, as a matter of fact. Yeah, and they've got this. They've got this sort of route one sleeping drafting cupcakes plan to get. Mm. Crab and Goyle out of the way, and of course it works perfectly. You can almost hear them say, let's not overthink this, yeah? Chocolate cakes, sleeping draft, done. <laughs> so they they sort of, yeah, they, they knock them out with this sleeping draft, hide them, nick a couple of bits of them, like hairs and fingernails or whatever, drink the potion, and it all seems to go to plan for Harry and Ron, but Hermione won't come out of the cubicle, so they've got to go as a sort of a a double act instead and the clock's ticking they've only got an hour before the potion wears off so they don't ask any questions they just head out the two of them um just, so they want and, go that's on. and that's how focused they are on it because i think you and i both know that if we'd have had if we were if we were mid caper right part way through a heist involving magic and a friend had taken a potion for the first time and it ended up quite surprised by the outcome <laughs> i i think both you and i probably would have taken the five minutes to find out exactly what the outcome was <laughs> if only to go on our way with a belly full of laughter into the more serious business of the heist yeah i like this because i i kind of think 11 and 12 year old me and you may well have just gone yeah right <laughs> <Let's> <laughs> carry on. <laughs> actually that is true that's absolutely yeah right fine 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 very focused on what i need to find out here <laughs> no time for your shenanigan there so they're wandering around disguised as Crab and Goyle 
Um, they feel like they've got sort of a, an obvious excuse for getting the password because they can just say they forgot it because they, they're idiots anyway. Um, but I, I quite like the little wrinkle here. It doesn't work. They wander up to this girl and Slytherin's like, look, do you know the password? We forgot it. And she just like like looks at them and just walks off, like giving them a sideways <laughs> like, look. I'm in, I'm in Ravenclaw, you idiots. <laughs> yeah. This is brilliant. Just absolutely incredible. Like you can take all the magic potions that you want. Magic isn't a shortcut to being smart about these things and they are very much not smart about these things but it turns out of course choosing to look like crab and goyle is the perfect thing to be if you're not very smart about things there you go so malfoy finds them rounds them up brings them to the common room um i quite like the fact like like the bit where they go into the slithering common room it's kind of like behind enemy lines they're looking around like whoa this is what it's like is it yeah, exactly. I like how sinister the Slytherin common room is as well. And <laughs> yeah. you just imagine if there was another like edge case, like like Harry Potter, but the other way, where the Sorting Hat went Slytherin, and then and somebody wasn't really terribly inclined to the sort of low hanging chandeliers, dark pools of shadow, you know, cold green kind of paint in a dungeon. Dungeon, by the way, there's a dungeon under this school. Questions. Um, <laughs> And I love the idea of somebody who wasn't really supposed to be there going in there and being like, this is high school, is it? Um, <laughs> oh, brilliant. Uh, hello. It, yeah, hi. Anyway, are you Malfoy? We're delighted. Yeah. Great to meet you. Um, yeah. How can I find a small corner of this place to hide in until I can go and get sent to somewhere less fundamentally damaging, like Eton? <laughs> yeah, I like the fact that you get sorted into Slytherin because, like, there's something off about you, basically. And then you think that the logical thing for the school to do, if they were to round up all the people who've got something, you know, particularly badly behaved, would be to put them in some sort of remedial area to try and fix it. But it's like, no, we'll just, we'll just sort of consider that a strength and play up to it. So we'll lean into it. it. <laughs> you will lean into it, yeah. <laughs> Give them the most evil-looking environment. We'll see, <laughs> shall we, whether environment can actually reinforce these traits or if the good will out, because you don't know. Hmm? You hmm? never know. So, go on, paint it a very, very, very dark black shade of green. <laughs> Make sure the lights are turned down low. Put skeletons on top of the wing-back chairs and let's see what happens. <laughs> Uh, so they sit down for a chat, Malfoy and who he thinks are Crab and Goyle. He's, he's having a good gloat, as he likes to do, Malfoy, because there's a there's a newspaper article. This is pretty bad. Yeah. Inquiry at the Ministry of Magic. Arthur Weasley's been fined 50 galleons for, uh, I think, is it enchanting a muggle car? And, um, yeah, again, it's, it's just sort of... It's reminding Harry and Ron of sort of real-world consequences for that caper. Yeah. And well, also, well, 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 if it isn't the consequences of my action. <laughs> but also at the same time, they have to pretend it's really funny because yeah. obviously yeah, they're supposed to be Crab and Goyle. So it's, it's a bit of an awkward moment, this. Um, yeah, they're really bad at pretending to be Crab and, and Goyle. Like, yeah. really, really terrible at maintaining this pretense. But luckily, I mean, let's say partially because Crab and Goyle aren't supposed to be particularly sparkling conversationalists and they are supposed to just <laughs> gape dumbly at whatever he says anyway <laughs> yeah. that they get away with it. But also because 
Malfoy plainly, and this is actually really sad. Malfoy clearly has no interest in any human being or what they have to say beyond what he has to say to them. So <laughs> yeah. he's completely fine hanging out with a, a couple of people who have essentially got dust for brains, and he's like, I, 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 I noticed nothing bad. You really are stupid, aren't you? Anyway, anyway, let's settle down to our usual evening's activity, sitting around <laughs> in big skeleton-covered wing-back chairs, listening to me talk about all the people I despise. <laughs> and that's his life. Can you imagine? Yeah, yeah. And um, they get they get a crucial bit of info here because yeah. Malfoy basically says, "Look, it's not me." Um, as you know already, <laughs> as as we're all well aware, but which I will now repeat to you for reasons unknown, I'm not the heir of Slytherin. Um, and he goes, he sort of recaps about you know last uh, dad dad told me that last time it opened a mudblood died. He says, and personally, I hope it's Granger this time. Um, he also lets slip That's that. A, if, if you're looking to mark the moment where I, I lost the small bubbling up of sympathy I had for Draco Malfoy's lived experience, <laughs> it was then. It was when <laughs> yeah. I hope somebody in my class dies. Yeah. Oh, all right. Good on you, Draco. On you get. I like this little detail. Malfoy, Malfoy Manor got raided last week. But, <laughs> um, but he says, it's, uh, luckily, luckily we hid all our, the, the remaining dark stuff we've got like underneath the dining room, like Under in this little compartment. Room. <laughs> That's incredible. Again, as I'm sure I've told you before, my father has a stash of deeply illegal material. And it's <laughs> underneath the floor. The password is such and such. <laughs> Um, as he's telling him this info, uh, the potion starts to wear off. Like Ron's nose starts to grow back into its normal shape. So they um, <laughs> they cheese it. They just make a run for it <laughs> in the common room. <laughs> I wonder what Malfoy must have thought of that. Like suddenly, his two henchmen just sort of make an absolute. One of, one of them starts to it. look a bit strange in the firelight, and then they're just like, "Right, we're out." In a bit. Evening, Ron I Malfoy. bet he didn't even think about it. I bet he was just like, oh, idiots, they're probably going off somewhere to have their brains drained again. Yeah, there they go again. Um, we find out at the end of this chapter, once they get back to the, the, the girls' toilets, like, uh, what's her face? Morning Myrtle's floating about laughing, going, oh, he's terrible. <laughs> How and, bad um, is it? Yeah, how bad is it? Hermione comes out, it's just like half girl, half cat. She's like Catwoman. She's just got like whiskers and stuff. And he's like, oh no, must have accidentally got a um, got a cat hair instead of a Millicent Bulstrode hair. Got I just, I, I love that. I love the idea of her having a pet cat somewhere in the in the school as well. And particularly yeah. because because this would be a Slytherin cat, right? That she's got somewhere in in the Slytherin common room. It's clearly like a a Doctor Evil cat. <laughs> oh, that was hairless, wasn't it? So actually, the white the white cat from. Uh, uh, Blofeld in, uh, in those early <laughs> <Yeah>. Bond films, <laughs> just because that's the only type of animal you can imagine thriving in the Slytherin common room, can't you? <laughs> kind of like they just and they all take it in turns to pass around the cat and stroke it whilst thinking sinister thoughts about their enemies and how they'd like yeah. to kill them. And that's yeah. how. <laughs> uh, we got into chapter thirteen, the very secret. Is this our last one for the? This is so. yeah. Chapter 13. Oh no, there's, there's there's one more after this. Chapter 13, The Very Secret Diary. So, um, the sort of rumours going around that Hermione's been attacked as well. 
um, because obviously she's ended up in hospital. <laughs> but <laughs> it'd be a bit weird if like this monster has paralysed two people and a cat. And then just turn someone into a half cut <laughs> for a bit of variety. Right. Just, just to change it up a little bit, see if it goes differently. Yeah. Uh, Ron has this sort of like quietly, he's quietly disappointed in Hermione when he realises that she's got a, a sort of get well soon card from Lock Cart sort of under a pillow. He's like, oh, you've let yourself down there, Hermione. Um, also disappointing is they don't have any leads anymore. So they know it's not Malfoy. And they sort of they sort of got nowhere else to go now. That <laughs> they kind of like they they put all the chips on. It's Malfoy, and now they find out it's not. Sort of, and if it's not go? Malfoy, um, I don't know. Gosh, who else is there? Yeah. Anyway, another lead presents itself because as they're heading back to the common room, uh, they realise there's a load more water. Do you know like there was at the start when um, when Norris got it? There's a, another puddle outside the uh, outside the girls' toilets. So Ron and Harry go in there again. It's beginning to get a bit suspect if you just sort of like if you don't know what they're up to, they just keep wandering <laughs> into these girls' toilets. But um, in they go again. And uh, Morning Myrtle apparently turns out Myrtle's had a book thrown at her. And um, I love how she sort of she describes what happened. She's like, I was just sitting on the U bend thinking about death, and then someone <laughs> threw a book at me. <laughs> And, uh, now, who amongst us can say we didn't have moments like that in our teenage years, eh? So, um, anyway, yeah, she, was, she she had this book thrown at her, and uh, Harry has, sort of picks it up, and it's it's just a uh, it's a diary, but there's nothing in it, and it's obviously been bought at this I think Vauxhall Road news agents in London. He's like, oh, it's it's this is weird to find in 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 a in a sort of in Hogwarts. This is weird. It, it seems to have been bought on a road that has no kind of slightly weak, punny second meaning. What's <laughs> going on here? <laughs> and Ron's like, well, well, be careful. You know, I've heard about dangerous books. He, he lists a few. These are great. It's like someone had his eyes burned out. Um, someone read a book which meant he could only speak in limericks for the rest of his life. <laughs> and uh, someone read a book that they literally couldn't stop reading and they've still got it in front of the face now. They've just got to wander around <laughs> doing stuff with the book in the face. <laughs> oh, dear. So, um, but Harry's like, look, it, I think I'm, I think this is one of mine in terms of a muggle book. There's, you know, it's just a, just a, just a box standard diary that's just lying around in the school. I'm going to take it. Which somebody went to great trouble to flush in a toilet nobody goes in for no mm. reason at all. <laughs> exactly. Mm. Harry also pieces together. This is from the date at the back. It's fifty years old. This diary, and um, it's got Tom. It's got a name on the front, Tom Riddle, and uh, and Ron's like, I recognise the name because he did all that trophy polishing with um, with Filch earlier on. He's like, yeah, that that kid won an award like fifty years ago, and they sort of look at each other. It's like, oh, maybe he caught the air. <gasps> I do love with with um, with. The Harry Potter books. Uh, J.K. Rowling often, like, very rarely writes a detail that doesn't matter. Like even things like which detention Ron got, sort of, is used for something later. It's almost sort of like Agatha Christie-like in that everything seems to matter, and like even even little details like that come back a bit later on and weave back into the narrative. Oh, that's interesting. I hadn't noticed that because I tend to think of the world building as being a bit off the peg. A little mm. bit, like not to seem too rude about it, but just a little bit like 
like playing playing the cliches well or the archetypes yeah. I suppose you call them instead do you know what I mean like you know yeah. right, here's a here's a public school right right here's a bunch of magical potions here's an irritating person taking pictures of somebody and you know here's a terrifically self-important loon and you know here's an evil teacher that you can't really trust mm. um and I, I you know it's pretty clear that you know she set out to do that so um uh so fair enough but um but actually I think Maybe yeah, I need to look at that again because I I wouldn't have made the Agatha Christie comparison, but hmm. Hmm. well, <clears throat> neither would I normally because I didn't particularly enjoy that book. But but when we did it. <laughs> <laughs> but, but but we're sure you will if you go back and listen to Shark Liver Oil does the murder of Roger Ackroyd. Yeah, there's also an enjoyment to be had about listening to us not enjoy a book. If I'm honest, but um, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Oh well, I mean, and as always, you know, do go and listen to. Uh, Shark Liver Royal reads the Da Vinci Code. Don't read the Da Vinci Code. Just listen to us talk about it. Uh, so, the, um, the, the we get a bit of a lull now. There aren't any more attacks for a while, and um, <clears throat> so everyone sort of starts to relax a little bit. Gilroy Lockhart's wandering around taking the credit, saying, "Oh yeah, um, they must have known that I was going to catch him eventually, so they've obviously run away." Um, and he's come up with a morale-boosting idea, which is basically a Valentine's Day-themed day. Um, he sort of decks out the Great Hall in all this sort of pink, um, declares that he's been given 46 Valentine's cards already and says thanks, and then <laughs> brings in this little like group of dwarves that he's dressed as angels um, and says, these are my card-carrying cupids. And basically, you can employ one of them at any point in the day to send a message to someone that you like. <laughs> it's all <laughs> it's all very Gilderoy Lockhart, this, isn't it? it? It's it very really on is. brand. It, extremely on brand. And I love that these dwarves, right, he might have put them in gold get-ups and, and, and told them to walk around the school all day singing love songs to, to each other. But they could not be more furious about what it's actually like to do this. And it's so good just to see these like little balls of rage walking around going, you know, roses are red, violets are blue, something, 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 something kill you. You know, like it's just. <laughs> yeah. And uh, Harry gets one outside of class. And um, he sort of panics and tries to make a run for it, and the thing, and the like, the, the guy like rugby tackles him and jumps on his back's like, "Sit down, son. Listen to this. <laughs> <laughs> Listen, I don't like this any more than you do, but I've been paid, and you've been identified as somebody's crush, so we're just gonna have to get through this together. Now, listen. <clears throat> Shall I compare thee to a summer's? Shut up." Day, <laughs> I'm the one who's got to wear the wings, so suck it up. All right? <laughs> Listen, out of you and me, I definitely have the harder go of it here. So be quiet and listen to these sweet nothings. <laughs> Obviously, everyone standing around Harry finds it hilarious. He's mortified. <laughs> you would, wouldn't you? Oh, you'd talk about it for weeks. <laughs> uh, in his panic to get away, his bag sort of split and his ink spilled and his books have gone everywhere. And Malfoy picks up the diary, and Ooh. Harry manages to sort of expelliarmus it out of his hand um, and realises... Kid's got skills. Kid's got skills. Kid's got some skills. And he, um, he walks off and realises all these other books are kind of ruined because of all the ink spill, but the, um, the diary hasn't got any ink on it, even though he spilled a load over it. So he tries Ooh. a little experiment. He writes his name, and it disappears. And then the book answers 
<sighs> it's not just a bog standard book from the news agents. It's a magical one. So um <laughs> Yeah, the book is is it's it's Tom Riddle inside the book and he's like this book holds terrible memories. Um like the a, a cover up around the Chamber of Secrets. Surely not a cover up at Hogwarts. Sure. But yes, <laughs> Once again, I am speechless with surprise. <laughs> and um the diary sort of takes takes Harry inside this memory. And you see Tom Tom Riddle, who when he was a teenager, like way back when, fifty years ago, with this um, the headmaster at the time called Professor Dippet, and um, there's this conversation where Dippet's like, "Look, all these kids are getting attacked. I'm going to have to send you home." And Tom Riddle's like reacts in horror, and he's like, "Look, yeah. if if I can if I can find out who did it, if we can make it stop, can I stay? Because he desperately doesn't want to go home." Um, he bumps into like this younger Dumbledore, obviously. Um, and then in the end, the, the climax of this is Tom sneaks up on Hagrid, like a young Hagrid, um, and says, you know, your your monster isn't a good pet. Um, you, you, you've got to, it's time to hand him in. And uh, Hagrid tries to protect whatever it is he's got. This spider yeah. bursts out of this little box and escapes. <laughs> and it turns out Hagrid's been hiding this monster in the school a monster's been killing, well, not killing people, but been attacking people. In fact, yeah. he has killed someone now, hasn't it? Yeah. It's Hagrid. He's the heir of Slytherin. Well, I mean, <laughs> so when I was when I was looking at this, I actually thought this was a really interesting, like the way the way Harry kind of gets sucked into the, the the diary is the way that we get sucked into a plot of any kind is kind of because we desperately want to know something that, that we believe to have been covered up and kept secret for all of this time. Yeah. And, and it's really interesting because this is, may sound a bit weird. This made me think of conspiracy theories because we have no reason to believe here that the diary contains something true. It mm. just contains something secret or something which somebody is willing to present as having been secret. And so it's this really interesting like like flaw in the mind where Harry doesn't for a moment stop to think this this magical artifact in this building full of magical artifacts which might as well have been put together and a schedule constructed to demonstrate to me that almost nothing magical can be treated as being what it actually claims to be on the surface and certainly can't be assumed to be safe. I think I'm just going to go with this. Yeah, sure. Hijack, hijack my consciousness and show me what you've got to show me. What could possibly go wrong? <laughs> and it it's a re- I, it was a really interesting thing for me. Of like, I wasn't expecting to think of that when I when I read this bit. But it was like, is this really interesting thing of like, just because something is esoteric or secret or somebody tells you that somebody else doesn't want you to know it, doesn't mean that they have your best interests at heart or that it's true. Mm. And and you kind of have to look at the impact of the ostensibly you know revealed truth that you're being told. Look at the fruit of of it, and I think we're about to see that. And I think we have to say that Hagrid being identified as the the evil heir of the most evil wizards ever to live, it. I mean, it would be quite the quite the camouflage wouldn't it yeah <laughs> this large person who lives on campus nobody really trusts and um 
and who is definitely seen as being somewhere in between laughable and terrifying because he's three meters tall. That's how you're going to hide yourself as the heir of Slytherin. It's like it <laughs> sort of doesn't doesn't pass the sniff test to me. But what yeah. do you think? It's hard to believe, isn't it? Well, yeah. we get to chapter fourteen and sort of Harry and Ron and Hermione discussing this because, um, yeah, it is on the one hand you're like, well, surely not. It, yeah. You couldn't pick a less likely sort of candidate. And on the other hand, they're like, well, maybe he didn't know what he was doing. Maybe he was a bit of a pawn in this or. I don't know, look at the rap sheet in terms of dangerous monsters. He was trying to look after a dragon last year. He had that three-headed dog, you know. It's uh... And then yeah. Harry, Harry thinks back and he's like, yeah, he was, he was wandering around Nocturne Alley when I was there before. Yeah. And it's like all those little things chipping away. They're like, oh, um, this is And the like... Whomping Willow, of course. What like... about the Whomping Willow? Oh, he's resp- I mean, he's, it's out there in the grounds, isn't it? He's sort of responsible for these this stuff that goes on on the yeah. campus. Yeah. And, and the Whomping Willow is definitely one such very dangerous artefact. Yeah, I quite like this where they, they sort of, they're asking questions that they really would rather not ask and like pulling at something that they're worried about getting the answer to as they sort of explore this. And, um, and they sort of decide to sit on it for a while, partly because of that, because they feel so uncomfortable it's 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 funny isn't it it's one thing when your theory is Malfoy who you hate is the heir of Slytherin you can like yeah. go after it with some real enthusiasm if yeah. the theories become well what if it's someone we really like then it becomes a lot harder to pursue doesn't it yeah um so so that's the position they're in now and as it happens things that they kind of, they kind of put it off and they have this sort of with the excuse of, oh, well, things are getting better. No one's been attacked for a while. The mandrakes are nearly ready. So everyone's going to be back to normal. Maybe this problem's just going to just gonna go away. Of course, it never does. Um, <laughs> Not three quarters of the way through the book, it doesn't. <laughs> yeah. Unlucky, Harry. There are no. Oh, well, anyway, the rest chapters. of the book is just them practicing Quidditch, slowly getting better and having a grand old time of it. Uh, there's, a, there's a bit here where because they're about to go into third year, this is the first point where they have to start choosing what subjects they want to do. And um, so they they get these forms with the list of all the different subjects. I remember this when I was like that age. It's weird that so soon you're suddenly having to decide what do you want to study? What do you not want to? And um, Percy sort of puts his arm around Harry. He's like, well, it depends where you want to go. If you want to do this, then this. And if you want to do that, then that. And, I, I felt quite a definitive for this. Like Harry's sitting there thinking, I don't, I, I'm, you know, I'm 13. I've no idea what I want to do. So yeah. he ends up just picking the same subjects as Ron. It's like, I'll just pick the ones my mate's doing. Yeah. I, I mean, hard to describe that as a bad choice, right? Yeah. Um, yeah, no, I was, I was thinking about this as well because it is, it is quite striking. And I think I was, this is very odd, but do you remember there was a, there was a, uh, it was a song that was out when we were about this age by Baz Luhrmann, the film director, um, called the Sunscreen Song. Oh and, yeah, I remember. And that. it was a, it was a it was spoken word, right? And it's really weird, but it went to number one, and it was number one for ages. Uh, and there was one bit of it where it said basically, you know, try things. Um, like, don't worry about what you're going to do with your life. Most of the most interesting people I know still don't know. And 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 the piece is being delivered by somebody who's like clearly quite quite old. And I found that quite a helpful, quite a helpful bit of permission, like mm. not not necessarily to think of myself as being locked in at this at this age. 
Mm. However, I will tell you something really funny, and I'm not sure if I've ever told you this before. So, um, obviously, so you and I met um, studying history at university, and um, history's a big part of my life. I was so happy to do that that pod uh, that uh, that. Uh, uh, I don't know what I said podcast there we'll cut that out I was so happy to do that course and learn the things that I've learned and and you know it's given me ways of thinking about things that I've carried with me for the rest of my life I chose history for GCSE because the day before we did our choices we got the results back from a history test where when I thought I would get about I don't know it was like 70 out of 100 or something I got 96 or something and I was like all right See, I might be quite good at this. I'm good and it at was this. like no historical reasoning at all. It was just facts. <laughs> and I just happened to remember the right facts. Yeah. And then I ended up studying it and, you know, and carrying it all the way through and that sort of thing. So in many ways, the choices you make then, you know, you're not locking yourself into something, but you are giving yourself options of what you might become more and more interested in. Yeah. That was the moment they could have, could have been a doctor. Sliding, sliding doors. Could have been doors. enough to realise that if I just remembered things and didn't have to work very hard, then I'd be fine. <laughs> oh dear. So yeah, well, this is this is the fateful moment for Harry, and I mean, he's picking the stuff that Ron's picking. It runs not exactly a high flyer, so I don't know, I don't know how that's going to end for him. But let's see. <laughs> um, so Gryffindor have got Hufflepuff next. And um, they're all, it's great. The Gryffindor team are sort of moaning to themselves about how much training they're doing. It, we're here again, Dave. We've we're, we're this sort of, come on, lads. It's Hufflepuff stage. <laughs> it's and, Hufflepuff. <laughs> and Wood's like, no, it's serious. We've got to keep it's, training. We like, must take it very seriously. <laughs> oh, dear. Um, so he's got to go to training. He gets back. His room's been trashed. Someone's nicked Ooh. the diary. <gasps> What? And, what? And it has to be a Gryffindor because it's only someone who's got access to the common room. Mm. I mean, or someone who knew the Gryffindor password, if we've got to be honest. <laughs> <So>. <laughs> which, which is said frequently in that part of the school by every single person that needs to access it ever. I'm not yeah. quite sure this password system is the secure approach they, they seem to think it is. 100%. I bet and as we've seen with the passwords, they don't even have to put a, an uppercase letter, a lowercase letter, a special character, and a number. <laughs> yeah. And they don't change it every three months. What sort of yeah. security regime is this? <laughs> so uh, so it's the big day. Gryffindor against Hufflepuff. Sli- slightly lower attendance than Slytherin, I, I suspect. But anyway, they, they've got to win it. They're on the way to the pitch. And Harry hears the voice again. It's like, oh, come on, surely not now. <laughs> not now. <laughs> Go away, strange eldritch voice of disturbing violence. I've no time for this. It's going, let me tear, rip, kill, and come on, lads. It's Hufflepuff. <laughs> <laughs> Even better, I, what, the, what the voice says, it says it's those things apart from Hufflepuff. Apart from, you know, um, focusing the spirit of Sir Alex Ferguson. Um, it's, it also says, it says, this time. And it's just this wonderful sense of this voice that's supposed to be really threatening. And like the voice of, I don't know, Harry's own murderous subconscious. The, the, the horror embedded in these ancient and violent soaked walls. And, and, and even then it's like, I'm serious this time it's you should be very frightened on this occasion unlike before when it didn't really work never mind uh. there is a reading of this monster 
in that it that it's just uh, the, on the one hand obviously very dangerous on the other really quite hapless it's still not managed to kill anyone <laughs> nobody's dead it's like let, let me rip you tear you or slightly inconvenience can we could we agree on tickling i just i i i'll be honest with you my performance review with the dark eldritch lords of terror and chaos is going to go quite poorly uh could could we perhaps uh rip tear uh, <laughs> Rip, <laughs> slight, slight cough. <laughs> yeah, rip, tear. Definitely not just leave you paralysed again. That yeah, definitely, definitely not doing that not. this time. Definitely not just give you a nice lie down in the infirmary for a number of weeks. Uh, uh, oh bugger! Uh. <laughs> <laughs> so um, they get to the pitch. Hermione sort of suddenly says, I've, "I've had an idea," and decides to run off to the library. And again, Harry and. Harry and Ron are like, yeah, okay, all right. Well, we've got stuff to do. So they head onto the pitch. And um, <laughs> I love this. The Hufflepuffs are in a last-minute huddle, presumably all just sort of shaking. Like, oh, no. How bad is it going to be today? <laughs> <laughs> so holding on to each other. It's not going to be... Maybe they'll catch the snitch early. Maybe that'll happen. <laughs> this isn't Slytherin. They're probably not going to just run it on and on and on. <laughs> The Gryffindors are at least decent to us, all right? <laughs> it's it's going to be all right, lads. Remember, remember, the, the Badger remembers, all right? <laughs> One and day then, we will be avenged. And then this this voice comes over, like the Tannoy, or whatever the magical version of it is. Game cancelled. <gasps> and all the Gryffindors are like, you must be joking. And the Hufflepuffs are like, yes! <laughs> <laughs> No score draw. No score draw. The Hufflepuff dream. Uh, so, yeah, no, match abandoned because there's been another attack. And in, the students, this, this is what I meant before about how at this point, everyone starts freaking out. Like, students to the rooms, curfew, lockdown. We can't have any more people attacked. Like, I'm not quite yeah. sure why that didn't happen when Creevy got it about yeah, three no, chapters ago. <laughs> Listen, it's now targeting people who aren't really irritating and who we weren't all secretly hoping would go away for a little bit. <laughs> and yeah. that really annoying ghost. It's serious this time. <laughs> so um, it turns out Hermione has been got. Um, <gasps> both Hermione and um, this Ravenclaw girl who she was with have both been... Again, paralysed. Is is <laughs> monsters not quite managed to get beyond paralysed level three again? But um, <laughs> luckily for Hermione and, and this Ravenclaw girl. Yes. But yeah, two people, two more in the in the infirmary, and everyone has to go back to the rooms. And like I say, lockdown now. Everyone's sort of under curfew. And uh, in the Gryffindor common room, Lee Jordan saying, sort of counting them off. It's like, look, look who's been attacked. Two Gryffindor. One Hufflepuff, one Ravenclaw. I mean, a ghost and a cat. Let's not talk about them too much. What's the <laughs> odd one out? No one from Slytherin. Like, why don't they just send the Slytherin lot home? Which, to be honest, we kind of said Solid. at the start of book one, why don't you just send yeah. the Slytherin home <laughs> first day? <laughs> Get on so we've got a house full of people who are evil, um, and we're sending them home. Yeah. And we think uh, that's most straightforward for everybody. We should we should make a note actually every time that someone suggests why don't we just send all the Slytherin lot home? Isn't that just the <laughs> easiest answer to this problem? But um, yeah, uh, Percy particularly 
is in shock, apparently because Penelope Clearwater, who is this Ravenclaw girl, um, was a prefect. I love that Ooh. idea where he's thinking it literally can get anyone, even if <laughs> the badge didn't protect her. <laughs> she had one day to retirement. One day. Yeah. I love the idea that the monster's like, whoa, 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 you don't attack the law. Yes. <laughs> Listen, uh, I'm an eldritch horror from the nameless beyond, but let's not go crazy here. Yeah. 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 So um, they decide, okay, um, they can't put this off any longer. They need to go and see Hagrid to clear up what's happened there. That's their only lead. Much as they hate it, they've got to have to go and sort of question him. But, Dave, there's a care for you. There's, there's teachers walking the corridors. No one's allowed out. No one's getting in. No one's getting out of the common room. They, they can't get to Hagrid's hut. And Harry just goes, go get the cloak. <sighs> Yes. They've, got the, they've got the invisibility cloak. It's they've the, got the invisibility cloak. The shenanigans persist. Yes. It's the it's the greatest sort of caper accessory. Like don't go on don't go on a caper without it. They've, don't they've go come. on a caper without it. Put that in the adverts. The <laughs> Help you cater. <laughs> My favourite ever invisibility cloak caper, well at least so far is the one where they, they used it to get the dragon out in the first book. And then they walk back down the stairs, all like with massive grins on their faces, and then realised they'd forgot to wear it. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah, that was great. You can almost hear them kind of just like strutting out, turned down for what playing in the background. Ah, they can see us. Yeah, just walking past Snape and flicking him the Vs and he just like looks at them. He's watching. What are you doing? Oh dear. Anyway, yeah, they do wear the cloak this time. They get all the way to Hagrid's. He opens the door and he's obviously like really tense. This doesn't look good for his reputation either, to be honest. He's got a crossbow out. I suppose he's just freaking out about the monster, potentially. Yeah, I mean, sure. But he has built his reputation as the one thing that Hagrid does well is deal with monsters. Or oh, that's not true. He doesn't deal with them well, does he? But the one thing he does fearlessly is deal with monsters. And now he's packing. That is, <laughs> that, yeah, it's serious. It doesn't look good. So they go in. Um, immediately, they've got to hide again. Because Dumbledore arrives with this guy, the name on the chapter, start of the chapter, called Cornelius Fudge, who's the Minister for Magic, basically sort of like the wizard prime minister. Um, and they basically... And they've decided to have a meeting in a hut on the outskirts of the campus rather than in any of the magically secure rooms in the middle of the school. <laughs> well, come prime Minister, it. welcome, welcome, lovely to see you. Now, I have a suggestion for where we might meet. <laughs> I know a place. Um, it's kind of kind of dingy um it probably doesn't smell very good um caretaker lives there so it's only one room um and oh and be beware of the willow as well because it, it it does womp um mm. but that seems to me the best place for us to meet shall we oh yes of course yes let's go yeah well they're here because they're here to arrest hagrid effectively because um dumbledore says you know well basically fudge says look there's been four attacks on students, you know. Things have gone far enough. We can't we can't risk having Hagrid around anymore after like the sort of the history he's got. So um he's gonna have to go and sort of sit it out in 
the wizard's prison Azkaban until, um, until we clear all this up. And just as you think things can't get any worse, Lucius Malfoy shows up. That Malfoy's dad. <laughs> Can I come for a gloat, he says. <laughs> oh, heartless gloat. In he comes. You're right, it's weird that this is all happening in, in Hagrid's hut. I think Malfoy's yeah. gone up to the... Up to the uh, up to his office and gone. Where's Dumbledore? Oh, he's down at Hagrid's again. Oh, gee. Okay. Oh, I think down sake. He so Listen, he get, down can you get me my my willow proof umbrella, please? Because <laughs> I'm going to have to walk down that path. <laughs> yeah. So it turns out um, Malfoy's got twelve signatures. Him and the other eleven school governors have signed an order of suspension. They've lost confidence in Dumbledore. No, he's got to be to be fair to the governors. Four kids have been paralysed. <laughs> uh, it's hard to describe this as a completely unjustified act of malevolence, isn't it? On part. Yeah, four kids have been paralysed over a period of what I think is about six months without anyone yeah. being informed. So it's not <laughs> ideal. I and I, I mean, yes. So the argument is solid. The idea of it having to be like the prime minister of wizarding who has to come down here in order to say this is like <laughs> it's a bit weird. <laughs> so um, Dumbledore is, is told he's got to go. Uh, Hagrid sort of puts up a puts up a stout defence and says, "If you get rid of Dumbledore, there'll be killings next," and um, he's told to leave too. Might you consider reconsider your wording there, Hagrid? I think that might be unhelpfully ambiguous the way you put that. <laughs> <laughs> um, Dumbledore sort of gives a speech Dumbledore's obviously got an inkling that Harry and Ron are about or someone's about because he gives this sort of speech like help will always be available to those who ask and, and, and Harry and Ron like hear it and sort of realise he's saying something to them I quite like from Malfoy's perspective he thinks Dumbledore's just like giving a grand speech to this hut on his own <laughs> he's like, he's like, like yeah 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 whatever <laughs> yeah. admiral sentiments he says right come on <laughs> you're not you're not on a podium now Albus come on we're going <laughs> we're literally in a shed so just simmer down yeah yeah, there's a little bit here where which Lucius says, which always sort of um, caught me a bit. Where he, he like he says, "We'll try and avoid any um, killings." He's like mimicking Hagrid's accent, and I always just thought that was a real little sort of low blow from Malfoy to do that. He is uh, kind of summed tool, his character up quite well. Yeah, ugh, just ah, any um, more killings. <laughs> And, to be um, clear, I think it's the commoner who's done these bad things. <laughs> and then Hagrid, as he's leaving, has a thing to say as well. And he says, uh, well, all I would say to anyone is, follow the spiders. That's that's all I'll say. And again, like, Malfoy's like, all right, get in the car. <laughs> <laughs> sure. Oh, all right, which, which, do you know what, never mind. Fine. <laughs> well yeah. said. Well said indeed. <laughs> But luckily, that's another lead for Harry and Ron to follow up on when we enter part four next week.